Good afternoon, Maynardville Fellowship. Please be opening your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 1. We typically uh, commit our Sunday regular worship to verse-by-verse exposition through books of the Bible. But this week is unique, isn't it? Um, With our weather-altered schedule and so many people being providentially hindered from attending, we thought it prudent to forego moving forward with Matthew and instead teach on what is sadly a much-needed topic today. Gender. Uh, I want, this sermon is titled, The Gender Binary and the Dominion Mandate. The very concept of a gender binary is under satanic attack. Gender is said to be distinct from biological sex and to exist only as a social construct. In other words, we've invented these roles, but they're really not necessary. They're imposed upon the sexes by culture and they're oppressive to men and particularly to women. What does the Bible teach us on this topic? And the answer is a lot. Much more than I can possibly get into in one sermon or lecture. But I want to try to make a dent in the cultural lies that our society tells. And undoubtedly, all of us have been somewhat impacted by the spirit of the age. We need to understand our entanglements and repent. It's very possible that you have or do celebrate things that the Bible teaches are reprehensible. And that you see things, some things as reprehensible that the Bible celebrates. And there's good news. There is forgiveness and there's pardon, but these things really do matter, and they matter big time. We see this gender binary explicitly mentioned as part of the created order way back in Genesis 1.27. God created man, mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Being male and female is a biological reality that's intended by the Creator around which He intended all of society to be structured. That is to say that the social social construct of gender roles is intended by God as a consequence of the biological realities of being male and female. He made you male so you could do what males are supposed to do and He made you female so you could do what females are supposed to do. And the assault on that is nothing less than assault on the Creator and His intention for His world. Understand that. Both genders are good. And denying the goodness of either maleness or femaleness cannot be done without dire consequences. We see those all around us today. We have to be indoctrinated into the spirit of the age, not to acknowledge these differences because even natural law screams these realities. And we're going to point to some of those this morning as well. Caution, though. We can both underestimate and overestimate the distinction between men and women. Throughout history, some have overestimated this distinction, suggesting that only men are image bearers. But is that what our text says? It says, God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Both male and female are created in the image of God. Clearly, Scripture affirms that both are in God's image. Herman Bovink says, Women can be a helper suitable for the man only because she is his equal and reflects God's image just as much as he does. Amen. But, is overestimating the distinction between men and women the problem that we see today? Is that, is that like, we really got to fix that? Of course not. No. Today's society at large um, denies... All science, common sense, human experience, and even their own eyes pretending that gender is a social construct. 
As we examine the scriptures on gender roles, we find that a person's embrace, acceptance, and devotion to his or her calling as it pertains to gender matters, and it matters eternally. That is to say that a person who remains in rebellion to God by refusing to fulfill their duties as a man or as a woman is in danger of hellfire. Can I be more direct? We'll see that today. Yes, we are justified only through faith in Jesus, but genuine faith will bring forth works, and bad works are an evidence of ungenuine faith. God made man as male and female, so it's only right that he gets to tell us what it means to live as a male or female. Does that make sense? He gets to decide what it should look like. The goal of salvation is that in Christ, we regain what we lost in Adam. Adam and Eve were created and placed in the garden to image God. But what, what does it mean to image God? You ever think about that? Like, we're created in the image of God. I remember when I was a kid, I thought, well, God must look like me. Did any of you have such a naive understanding of the image of God when you were young? Him, God must have arms and legs. You see kind of a grandfatherly figure in the sky. He basically looks like a man. Well, God doesn't have a body. That's not what it's talking about. Genesis 1, 26-28 makes it very clear what he's talking about. God says, let us... You see plurality in the Godhead all the way back in Genesis, don't you? Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea. There's a rulership. Man is God's vice regent over creation. A, a being capable of making progress, of subduing, of unlocking the mysteries of the created order, of, of utilizing it and maximizing it, unleashing God's, God's all the wonders that are in the created order that God has created. Everything He's made. Man is uniquely designed to be able to rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in His image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them, and He said, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. That subjugate, that, that subdue is to subjugate, to bring into bondage, to make the the world, the earth, subservient to the will of man. When we're doing that, we're not ruining the earth. We're doing what God created mankind to do, unlocking the earth's potential. And to rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves. See another aspect of this dominion mandate in 2.15. The Lord took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to till it or to keep and to till it. So there's three aspects of this dominion mandate. To keep and to till, to manage what you already have, to rule over and subdue that which hasn't been conquered or recognized yet, that man should have that adventurous tendency to go out and do more and invent and create... And in order to do that, the third aspect is to multiply and fill, to create more and more image bearers, to go out over the whole earth, to spread out. Is the world overpopulated? No, it's not, it's not populated enough. We can't fulfill it yet. We've got to have more people to be able to do that. So, our ability to fulfill this, though, was lost in the curse. All, if you notice the curse, the consequences of the curse, it attacked our abilities to fulfill these things. The ground is cursed. Man's disposition toward labor is cursed. We tend toward not liking to work by wanting to tend toward leisure and entertainment and recreation. And childbearing itself was cursed. And the woman's disposition toward her husband to be the helpmeet was cursed. And they would be his, her desire should be to her own husband, but he would rule over him. And in that sort of world, this fallen world, it was impossible for us to make progress like we were intended to make. But in Christ, the curse is broken and we are able to regain what was lost in the curse through sanctification. The church should be completely different from the world, that we're regaining, that we're, we're saying, well, that's just the way it is. No, we overcome those things. We embrace work, celebrate work, work hard to make progress for the glory of God. And women joyfully submit to the role of their husband in the home so that they can put their efforts behind it so that they can help the man fulfill his vision and calling, that that's restored with Christians. Is that the message you're getting from pulpits today? No, it's all believe in Jesus so you can go to heaven when you die. God wants the world subdued. Adam failed. 
Christ overturned the curse. He now fills us with the Holy Spirit so we can go and do in Christ what we could not do in Adam. We lose that and we've lost the purpose of the mission of Christ to make us into His image. To save us from Adam. We are to increasingly become godly men and women who together and only together can fulfill the dominion mandate. Why do I say only together that we can do it? Well, one, one part jumps out at us, doesn't it? To keep and to till, to multiply and to fill. How many need me to explain why you need both sexes for that, right? We know that, don't we? You have to have both. But you have to have both to actually keep and to make the progress as well that both genders play a role in that and that if you don't have the masculine and the feminine cooperating together, you will be stifled in your progress. And our Satan wants to make men like women and women like men so that you don't have this binary, people embracing their roles, and it's led to chaos instead of progress. Both genders play a role in this calling, and neither gender can do it without the other. Scripture not only commands men and women to fulfill their proper roles, but it also forbids confusing roles. Men are not to act like women. And women are not to act like men. To do so is contrary to nature, as it says in Romans 1.26. But what does it mean for men to act like men and women to act like women? Well, that's those social constructs that we're talking about that are rooted in the created order that God intends and that we should embrace instead of rebelling against. We're going to look at the design of men and then the duties of men we're going to look at the design of women and the duties of women. And then we're going to finish up, if I have time this morning, with their desire for one another, the principle of polarity. But in the design for men, he made them male. God's unique callings for men and women aren't arbitrary. They're rooted in the created order. Just like God designed fish to swim and birds to fly... Just like a hammer is designed to drive a nail, not to screw in a screw, and a screwdriver is designed to screw in a screw, not to drive a nail. There's intention in how God designed men and women. It's obvious if you don't shut your eyes and say, no, it's not. We know that, don't we? You can look at the distinction. It's hard to even talk about maleness and femaleness without comparison. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with the weaker vessel. As with someone weaker, since she is a woman, right? So the weaker and the stronger. Think of the bodies. A man's body is different than a woman's body. How many knew that already? We knew that. Men are harder. Men have denser bones, larger hands, greater muscle mass. Women have higher body fat percentages. Look at men's broad shoulders and women's broad hips. Man's hard chests and women's breasts. Why? Because it's God's designs. And all of these things serve a purpose. To deny it is ridiculous. It's like looking at a hammer and saying, that's not meant to hit things with. Of course it is. Broad shoulders are meant to carry things. Broad hips are meant to bear children. And breasts are made to feed babies. Is this not common sense? Of course it is. It's why God doesn't, He designed it. It didn't happen through millions of years of evolution. God designed it that way. He designed it that way with purpose. And when you go back to there's no design, there's no purpose, you end up with gender as a social construct and none of these things matter. And all of existence is meaningless. Men are harder, but not only that, they're stronger. The record for a man's bench press is 1,350 pounds. The record for a woman's is 605. Let that hit you. The greatest trained men and women, the man is twice as strong. Squat, 1,306, I think that was Brody, and women, 607. Once again, half. Deadlift, 1,185, 639. Men's marathon, 2 hours and 1 minute. Women's marathon, 2 hours and 14 minutes. Men's mile, 3 minutes and 43 seconds. Women's 4 minutes and, uh, and 7.64 seconds. Men's 40-yard dash, 4.13 seconds. Women's 4.6. Just an average time for any NFL player, isn't it? Are they different? 
Well, I mean, we, we should know. We actually do know when you see all these sports things and men wanting to play. He identifies as a woman, so he needs to be able to play with women. Of course that's unfair. The man's made different, and we know that, but we're in rebellion against God himself. And men are more durable. Many conservatives will rightly call out transing kids, but wrongly don't think twice about the absurdity of what's going on for the sake of sports entertainment with our ladies. Disrupted men menstrual cycles. Do you know that if you train like crazy, you overtrain a woman physically, that it will disrupt her men menstrual cycles? The torn ACLs are out the roof. How many more torn ACLs you have with women in competitive sports? Concussions, way more con concussions. Lifelong injuries, hormonal problems. It's a nightmare. Ron asked me recently. He said, "How could the women do? Uh, how can the women's basketball team be a little bit get better?" And I said, "Well, I guess they could learn to sew and cook." <laughs> Say, Matt, you're a sexist. No, I'm not. I've recognized that men and women were created differently and they should be doing different things. If you argue anybody should be trying that hard to throw a ball through a hoop or hit a ball over a fence, maybe there's a place for that if you're trying to do it to provide for your family, whatever. But there's a reason there's not a market for it and for the income disparity in it because the women can't do it as well and when they train it, it messes them up anyway. It's not what you should be leading your daughters to do or be. Hear that. If it hurts your feelings, I'm sorry. You're hurting your daughters worse than I'm hurting your feelings. I guarantee you by what you're doing to them to make, try to make them like men instead of trying to make them like women. Is every man harder, stronger, faster, and more durable than every woman? No, but not every horse is bigger than every dog either, right? Might be a dog that's bigger than some horse. Doesn't matter. Still, what do you ride, a dog or a horse? The horse is suited for riding. The dog is suited for fetch. Right? Plus, what, do we, what, what, what we find is that at certain points, the harder, stronger, and faster women become, the more unhealthy they become with their hormones and their natural sexual function. And on the flip side, the harder, stronger, and faster men become, the healthier they become. Women become less healthy when they get a certain point, and men keep getting healthier. Their testosterone increases. They function better. And that's no coincidence. It's God's design. Now, is harder, stronger, and faster, and more durable better? No. Is a hammer better than a vase? They're different. They serve different purposes. The vase is beautiful. It contains the flowers. You display the vase. You protect the vase. You can hit things with the hammer. They're both good. But if you try to hit the nail with the vase, what do you do to the vase? And if you decorate with a hammer, you might ought to question your sensibilities in decorating and style. Right? Not only are they different in body, but in spirit. We can say that there's no difference, but there is. And even sociological tests have been ran that men are more aggressive. It's because of the testosterone. You say, well, you can supplement that by giving women testosterone so you can make them more aggressive. Yeah, you can. And also ruin them and what God created them to be. You can do these things, but it messes them up. It doesn't help them. It's precisely the male's greater tendency to respond with dominance and attainment that that, that, that causes the hierarchy of status rooted in the differences between male and female. Well, the men just have all the positions of power in the workplace. Right. It's almost like the man's designed to go out and to rule over and subdue and take the unknown ground while the woman's not designed to face the unknown because she's to be protected because she's a vase. She's to take care of the home and to um, have children and nurture them and raise them. It's almost like God designed it that way on purpose or something. Isn't it? Yes, of course. Men are more adventurous by nature. Go, take new ground, explore, defeat, protect, slay the dragon. Assertiveness. Boys have more tolerance for disagreeableness. Often, disagreeability is an expectation and a requirement for male social interaction. Boys are less agreeable. This is a Jordan Peterson. It says, boys are less agreeable. Agreeableness being a personality trait associated with... Um, 
compassion, empathy, and avoidance of conflict, and they're less susceptible to anxiety and depression, at least after both sexes hit puberty. Boys' interests tilt toward things. Girls' interests tilt toward people. Strikingly, these differences, strongly influenced by biological factors, are most pronounced in the Scandinavian societies where gender equality has been pushed the hardest. This is the opposite of what would be expected by those who insist ever more loudly that gender is a social construct. It isn't. That isn't a debate. The data are in. Guys, that's not even God's... That's not even what the Bible says, although the Bible would... The data agrees with the Bible. I start to say the Bible agrees with the data. The data matches up with what God has revealed. But even sociologists that are honest will say the same thing. And competitiveness. Sociologist Stephen Goldberg notes scientific evidence to suggest that men are more attracted to conflict and competition, whereas women are more attracted to nurture and relationship building. Men are more likely to skip the personal details and get down to the business at hand. I don't know how many phone conversations I'll have with with somebody and then talk to Jessica and I'll be like, Brandon's not coming to church, he's sick. What's wrong with him? I don't know. Has he been to the doctor? I don't know. Do they think he's going to get better? I hope so. I don't know. Because we don't think that way, do we? We don't ask all those questions, do we? It's like it's a difference in how we're wired and what we think. We're to the task at hand more, more likely and the goals that we're trying to achieve. Not the relationships. Which is better? No. No, we're going back to which is better. They're both necessary. And when the woman tries to do away with what she's supposed to be and the man tries to do away with what he's supposed to be or meet in this muddy middle where neither of the distinctives are on display, you end up with an androgynous society where the image of God is not on display and everybody's bogged down with no progress. A lot like what we see in our world today. Men and women are different. The mind also, we've seen the body and the spirit, but the mind, more logical and practical, more emotional, relational, and beautiful. Which one's better? Well, they're, they're both good. It's not about better or worse. The desire, men desire respect, women desire love. Men are attracted to beauty and women are attracted to accomplishments. People ask me, how did you get Jessica? Look at you, look at her. I'm like, hey, I, she's not attracted to... That's not how it works. I got the beautiful woman. She got somebody that had some vision and some goals. You see ugly men with good-looking women all the time, don't you? Men are not to rebel against their nature, but to harness it. Masculinity is not toxic. It's how a male images God, and it's very good... We want sanctified masculinity, but make no mistake, we want masculinity. 1 Corinthians 16.13 Be on alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. If God's Word tells us to act like men, then there's a way that men act, and it's not a social construct. It's rooted in who we are. How we're wired. How we're supposed to be wired. How serious is it for men to cultivate and harness their masculinity? Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You hear people preach against being a drunkard, being a reviler, being a swindler, being a thief, being covetous, even being a a sodomite or a homosexual, as some people like to call it, a fornicator or an idolater, but you don't have people say, hey, quit being such a sissy, grow up and be a man. Men, you can't be effeminate. Men, if you have sons that have tendencies to be effeminate, then you need to correct it and tell them to man up, not walk that way, not talk that way. To man up and be a man, be different. To be assertive, to be aggressive, to be hard, to be strong, to be what men are supposed to be. This, if you've got the ESV, it misses the mark here. It, it, it conflates these two words and it just says men who practice homosexuality. But the words are malak, malakos, like Matthew Malakos, no, sorry. Mal, mal, malakos, malakos. And um, the other word is the word for sodomite. I can't pronounce it real. It's uh, arsnakati or something like that. I can't pronounce that. 
The other word that Paul uses, uh, it's elsewhere in the Bible, and it doesn't mean homosexual at all. It's Matthew 11, 8. It describes it as soft or fancy clothing, that, that John the Baptist didn't come to you in soft clothing. Um, then when the word uses scriptures associated with soft or effeminate behavior, and even outside the Bible, Herodias wrote that soft lands breed soft men. It didn't mean soft lands made homosexuals. It, meant it made soft lands made weak men. That's been going around. We say that right all the time, don't we? Good times make soft men. Soft men make bad times. Bad times make hard men. They were saying that all the way back there. In the, in the history of the Peloponnesian War, he also wrote, not to let himself be shamed down for fear of being thought a coward, a malakos. Uh, it's, it's a weak, effeminate man who's scared of conflict, who won't risk anything, who won't face challenges and dangers in order to make progress. That's the Malachos. And Josephus, after this, the Israelites grew Malachos as to fighting anymore against their enemies. They grew soft. It doesn't mean they all turned gay. It means they grew soft and wouldn't fight anymore. So it's literally telling us that the Malachos, the soft, weak, effeminate man that rejects what God's created him to do as a man, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Guys, that's heavy, isn't it? That's big. You can't be a coward and go to heaven. You can't be soft and go to heaven if you're a man. You can't. According to the Word of God, Paul not only condemns sodomy and those who practice it, but he also uses the word soft to condemn male effeminate behavior in its entirety. Sodomy is the ultimate expression of male effeminacy. But what do you almost always see? When the homosexual is a homosexual, he also, in his appearance and manner, you can tell, can't you? Because it's, it's, they've gone down a, tra- a track to get there. More and more soft, culminating in neglecting the woman altogether. Paul is not saying men do not, or may not have any feminine traits or may not partake in activities considered to be feminine by culture. But he is saying that a man should not act like a woman. He should be hard. He should be strong. He should be fast, durable, aggressive when necessary, adventurous, assertive, competitive, logical, decisive, and practical. A man has to do these things to fulfill the duties. That's the design. We move from the de- design to the duties. Male authority is rooted in the different natures of men and women. Thus, there's a hierarchy of rank, not value, between the sexes. And these terms make modern people uncomfortable. You hear it and you cringe. It's because we're more formed by the spirit of the age than we are by the Word of God. They're biblical concepts and they're necessary for grounding proper relationships between men and women. What are the duties of men? Well, first, to be a protector. Do you protect that which is harder or softer? Which one's going to be? Which one needs to be protected? Do you protect something that's stronger or weaker? Faster or slower? Something that's more durable or less durable? What needs to be protected? Which one? Duh, right? Are those who are more aggressive or less aggressive better protectors? More adventurous or less adventurous? More assertive or less assertive? More competitive or less competitive? More logical or, or more emotional? Which one's going to be the better protector? We're designed for it, men. Those who gravitate to the practical or the beautiful, which one? We know the answer. And that's why in the Scriptures, listen to this, very direct, very clear. Nehemiah 4.14, Do not be afraid of them, talking about the invaders, but remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. It doesn't say fight for your husbands. Why? Because the role of protectors assumes to be a masculine role. That's Nehemiah 4.14. In Judges 4, 8 through 10, Barak does not get the glory for a successful battle because he insisted that women accompany him into the battle. Instead of protecting the women, he brought the women with him and therefore he was disgraced even though he won the battle. Jeremiah 50.37, it presents it as a disgrace of a nation when it uses its women as warriors. Nahum 3.13, behold, your troops are women in your midst. And it's a taunt of derision. 
Guys, you think you're a conservative because you post pictures of patriotic women who have gone into the military? Guys, that is not a good thing. That's not conservative. That's we've given up ground. The men should be fighting our wars. They're designed for it with their broad shoulders and their strength. They're designed for it. They're durable. They have actually, to, they had to lower the requirements to become Navy SEALs and things of that sort. These higher things in the, in the rankings for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So you could get more women in there. They had to lower the bar because the women couldn't make the bar that they set. You made the military weaker and put the tender, delicate vases of women into the line of fire to be destroyed. It's disgraceful. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. Instead of touting it on our Facebook pictures. People think it's beautiful that a woman lost her legs in battle and they share it as a mark of something good. That is disgusting. It's not the mark of something good. It's disgusting. It's nothing could be uglier than the fact that you put a woman out there to get her legs blown off in battle. How dare you? I'll tell you what. If they implement the draft for their daughters, they're going to have to kill me to get mine. A man who does not protect his wife and children from harm is an effeminate man and such will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Not only are they protectors, they're providers. If anyone does not provide, 1 Timothy 5.8, for his own, especially those of his household, notice the pronouns. Pronouns do matter sometimes. Okay, Check the pronouns. If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel or an unbeliever. Why does it say if anyone doesn't provide for his or her own household? Because it's not her job, men. Well, my wife's just not making enough money to help with the household. Then man up and you make enough money to help with the household. What do you mean she's not making enough money? You're trying to marry somebody to be your sugar mama? Grow up, you pathetic little man. What's wrong with you? supposed to be a provider. God's called you to be that. Let's go back to the beginning of time, right after the fall, when God gave the man and the woman the consequences of their sin. Here's the one He gave to the man. Thou shalt not eat of the, the fruit, and cursed is the ground for thy sake. And in sorrow you shall eat of it all the days of thy life. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return to the ground from which you were taken. From dust thou art, and from dust you shall return. So he cursed the ground where he was supposed to work to provide for the family. He cursed it and made it harder and cursed his, dis he cursed his disposition toward that kind of labor. And what did he curse in the woman? I will greatly multiply the sorrow and your, uh, of your conception. And in, in sorrow or in pain you will bring forth children and your desire shall be to your own husband but he shall rule over you. He cursed the relationship of the man and the woman and the process of having children. The man is clearly to be the provider while the woman's life is to revolve around her children and her husband as she was created to be his helpmeet. A man who refuses to work and provide for his family and leaves the task to his wife is effeminate. And such men will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's worse than an unbeliever, the Bible tells us. Lastly, the leader or representative. When man sinned in the garden, Eve took the fruit, gave it to Adam, and he did eat. What did God say? He said... Adam, Eve, get over here. Where are y'all at? No, he left Eve out of it, didn't he? The man was the representative head. It was his responsibility. He was supposed to protect. He was supposed to assault the snake that was bringing the temptation. He was supposed to save his wife from that. And it was his fault, even though she gave him the fruit. Man, it's your fault. Wives, be subject to your own husband as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, you love your wife as Christ loved the church, not as Adam. Adam said, the woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I did eat. What did Christ say? He said, I'll bear the sin even though I committed none. A man who leaves the leadership of the home and the responsibility of the home to his wife is an effeminate man. 
Effeminacy is the opposite of masculinity. Effeminacy is when men do not act like men. Contrast this with masculinity where men act according to God's design. Doug Wilson says of masculinity, simply put, masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. I will suffer to provide, to protect for my family. I'll put myself... If anybody's going to be hurt, it's going to be me. I will stand in the way, I will stand in the gap. And if something goes wrong, it's not on those. I'm protecting them. It's on me. It's my fault. Men, it's your calling. Men are to model themselves after Jesus who sacrificed himself for his bride, the church. This is the masculine pattern that men must follow. It's wrapped up in God-given authority. Wilson again says... Masculinity is authoritative and scriptures teach that authority flows to those who take responsibility and it flees from those who seek to evade it. Man, if you don't take responsibility, you have abdicated and you won't have responsibility. You, take, you let the buck stop with you, you take responsibility, your wife will respect you and she'll follow you. Say, my wife just won't submit. Then grow up and be the man you're supposed to be and you might find that it's a little different. Look in the mirror instead of blaming her that she's not a good woman and won't submit to me. Be the man that must be submitted to. And that will be submitted to. Because you've earned her respect by loving her like Christ does the church. It'll work. Christian men must embrace masculinity and reject effeminacy. The archetype of dominion taking in Scripture is this apex ruler is the aspirational model for what a man at his greatest could be. The model that God has given Israel as he rescues them from bondage in Egypt to inaugurate them as a nation that bears his name. It's the model of a warrior king. We don't... We don't like Exodus 15.3 Yahweh is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. This model is taken up again in Revelation describing the living Christ who reigns over the world from heaven. Listen to Revelation 19, 11 through 16. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword, so that he might strike down the nations, and he would rule over them with a rod of iron. He treads on the winepress of his fierce wrath, the wrath of the Almighty God. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Men, when you hear this scripture, does it not thrill you with awe? The effeminate church doesn't preach things like this. And the men, why do we think we've got 65, 70% of the churches that are women and the men have opted out? It's because we have, uh, we have um, evicted masculinity from the churches, the place where we most need it. That's the problem. Your desire to conquer, men hear this, your desire to conquer and subdue, to hew down and to build up, to form and to shape, has nothing to do with the curse. It's man's natural, pre-fall, created purpose. You yearn to bend the world to your will because Adam was created to bend the world to his. Adam was made to exercise his will on behalf of God. And that's what a son does. And Adam was the son of God. And we are sons of God as well. To bend the will, the earth to our will under Christ for his glory. To subdue the earth. And the image of God is directly connected to this sonship. But Adam refused, and so we refuse. We are true sons of Father Adam, doing what he did and following in his ways. That's why we can no longer bring heaven to earth. And God had to send his own son as a new Adam to take over the process. Nonetheless, our masculine nature is how we're designed to image God as men. This is Michael Foster. He says, The nature must be redeemed, not rejected. Sin does not eliminate our natural inclinations. It corrupts them. In the same way, grace does not replace our natural inclinations. It restores them. When Scripture describes redeemed man as a new creation, it doesn't mean that we have been changed into something entirely different, but rather into something renewed. Men today desperately need to hear this message. There's no hint in the Bible that your aggressive instincts are a result of the fall. You are not a defective woman. You are a man. Act like it. A redeemed man, yes, but a man just the same. 
What are the three aspects of the dominion mandate once again? To keep and to till, to multiply and to fill, to rule over and subdue. The goal of salvation is that we become godly men and women who together and only together can fulfill the dominion mandate. Given God's design of the man, which aspect of the dominion mandate is he most designed and called and, and, and designed to do, to fulfill, to rule over and subdue, right? Go, get, slay the dragon, save the girl, explore, face the danger, conquer, take new ground. But what about the design of women? He made them male and he made them female. Women are not formed, they were not formed by chance. And just like men are not defective women, women are not defective men. It's impossible to fulfill the dominion mandate without both. Listen to this in Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord said, the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. This word suitable, or it's uh, neged. It means that which is opposite or that which corresponds. It carries the meaning that that which perfectly fills what is lacking in you alone. The masculinity alone is lacking something that's necessary to fully display the image of God to the ends of the earth. It can't just be all testosterone and strength and force and vision and taking. and can't just be that. You're lacking men alone. It's not good for you to be alone. You need a helper, suitable, and a ged, that which corresponds opposite to you, perfectly fits what's lacking in you. And we look at their bodies, softer, weaker, slower, less durable. Why? Well, by design. First of all, one reason is to discourage them from putting themselves in harm's way. The man is to go out into the unknown, among the wild animals and the unsubdued, the unsubdued domains and subdue it. And then the family is to fill that space and beautify that space, to keep that already taken ground, to keep that space as the man takes more. The man goes and subdues more and the woman beautifies and keeps the space that's been taken. Not in the unknown. We don't put her in the danger. We leave her in what we have already subdued. And she helps raise our children grow them to maturity, teach them, admonishes them, helps to discipline them, helps to train them up, helps to prepare them to go out when it's time to start their own families. You need somebody doing both tasks, don't you? Somebody committed to doing both tasks. What have we done? Well, the man goes out into the world and the woman goes out into the world. And if you have any kids, because it's discouraged from having any at all, because we've absolutely given up the multiply and fill, it's one for me and one, a boy for me and a girl for you, and then thank God we're finally through. It's kind of the, man's, the world's mantra today. But if you do have one or two, where do they spend most of their time? where your worldview is propagated to them and you've trained them up to believe what you believe and to have your same vision and that you're sending them out with the same basic goal to be what you to, to push forward your vision, your calling, the family calling, this family crest idea? No. Somebody else raises them. They get indoctrinated against everything that you and I believe and then they're told to chart their own course and find their own way and that their families are buying into these old, obscure, archaic lies. They buy into that and then, lo and behold, what do you know? They get grown and they've abandoned the faith. And they've embraced everything that you're dead set against. Why? Because we didn't have anybody staying at home, keeping them, watching them, protecting them in the subdued areas, in the safe place of the home. We didn't have that. We didn't have it at all. And it's a tragedy. That's not to say that the man has no role in the home or that the woman has no role in the world, but that their place of focus is by design. And the spirit also, and not, that women are more, they're not as aggressive. They're more desirous of safety and security. They're gentler and quieter in spirit. And they're agreeable. You say, you don't know my wife. Well, I don't. But if that's happened, the world has hardened her. She's been indoctrinated to believe she needs to be different than those things. She's not been taught that that's how a woman should be and that she should press into those ideals. She's actually been told that she needs to break out from those things, that she's been uh, uh, oppressed and that she's been beat down and that if she ever actually wants to be something, she needs to be more assertive and be out and not let any man tell her what to do. It's drilled into their heads from the time they're little. Then they embrace it and we're like, well, I don't. the women aren't generally like that. They're not because we've masculinized our women and we've feminized our men. 
to make an androgynous society. 1 Peter 3, 3-6 Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing the gold jewelry, and putting on dresses. Guys, it must not merely be external. It means not only women try to be beautiful. That's a good thing. God created you to be beautiful. And to press into that is a good thing. It shouldn't be merely that, but that should be something women aspire to be. Amen. Nobody wants beautiful women. That's what the Bible says, isn't it? But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husband. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. It's telling you that that's what a woman should be and do. You hear that? Are all women like this? No, some are masculine. I know some cowardly men who need to wear a bra and they couldn't fight their way out of a wet paper bag. They're not hard. They're not what men should be. They're passive. They, they surrender from everything. They're, they're, they've not tried to cultivate strength or boldness or anything. They're effeminate men. And you have masculine women. That doesn't negate what I'm saying. It just It, it actually highlights the problem that we've not encouraged masculinity or femininity to press into our design and to maximize what God's created us to be. And the mind, emotion and feelings, beauty and aesthetics, desire for love and relationship. And what are the duties? Once again, the duties flow from the design. The man is oriented to the world to take ground, to conquer the enemies, and he is specifically designed for that task. And the woman is to be oriented to the home and is specifically designed for that task. The orientation of the woman to the home is part of the image of God. God is not only the creator of new things, He's the sustainer of all things that He's created. Yes, God is on mission to bring the world to Himself, but He also keeps His own, nurturing them and bringing them to maturity. The sanctified woman is the one who orients herself to her home. In that, she images God in her femininity. Listen to this in 1 Timothy 2, 11-3-1. A woman must, receive, must quietly receive instruction with all submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be saved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. We say, what does it mean the woman shall be saved through the bearing of children? You had women who were trying to teach in the church all the way back in the first century. And they thought to be good, you know, productive Christians, they needed to speak in the assembly. That they needed to, and they would throw off their head coverings, which symbolized authority in that culture. And then they would speak and prophesy to the congregation and preach to them. It's, it's forbidden in 1 Corinthians, and it's forbidden right here. Why? Because the woman's not the authority. It's not hers to be that. She, she will be saved through the bearing of children. Her role, her being sanctified, is in her being a godly wife and mother. If they continue, and then it says it's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work that he aspires to do. The man should aspire to lead in the church as Christians, but the women shouldn't. They should aspire to lead in the home, leading their children and teaching other women to love their children and their husbands. You say, well, you're making less of... You're saying women can only teach women and children. You're not making much of women. I'm saying that they're responsible for the women and children and you're making not much of women because you're saying that's not a big calling. Of course it's a big calling. And that's her calling. And the men lead the churches. That's why you'll see me, David, Josh, we're committed to this. We will lead the men who should lead their households. You ain't going to see me counseling any women. Ever. Why not, Matt? Because that's somebody's wife. Because he, she needs to look to him. Because I don't want her to look to me as a spiritual head. I want, her, I want to direct him to what the Bible says and let him lead his wife. I don't need her thinking, wow, I wish my husband was more like Matt or David or Josh. It's out of order. It's wrong. It's not how things are supposed to be done. 
And then the women teach the other women how to love their husbands and their children at home. Say, man, this just doesn't feel right. No, it doesn't. We've been indoctrinated into feminism for generations now. A woman's domestic calling is not less than. Nobody hates women more than feminists. The hand that rocks the cradle actually rules the world, if you think about it. Raising these children. What a high calling, not a low calling. What a high calling. Eve means life giver in Hebrew because she was the mother of all living. Adam means dirt. <laughs> right? So we work out in the world. We're inclined toward our task. And a woman was named after the task she was inclined toward. Being life giver and the nurturer. Thus we see that woman is a life-giving creature, whereas man was named after the ground from which he came. Woman was named after her life-giving ability. So the very names of the first humans were wrapped up in their roles. Adam was a worker. Eve was a life-giver. God's unique calling for men and women are not arbitrary. These callings are rooted in the created order, just like God designed the fish to swim and the bird to fly. God designed men and women with the different and important purposes in mind. Neged, that which is opposite, that which corresponds. Man is designed to rule over and subdue. The woman is designed to manage, keep, and nurture the household. We're almost done. But the helpmeet, what, what are her duties? To be a helpmeet, a responder. The man is the leader, so he's the initiator. The woman is the helpmeet, so she responds to his initiative. This begins even in the home. I was on a Facebook thread where somebody said, uh, give me advice for any women that are over 30. Give me, give me some advice. And somebody gave the advice, pursue your dreams, not his. There's not worse advice that you can receive than what that woman said. When I was in seminary, you're talking to a girl. I didn't know Jessica yet. I didn't know the perfect woman was already in Kentucky. So I was still fishing, trying to find somebody that I might want to marry. And uh, I knew right away when they would say, well, I, I, what, what, do, what do you feel called to? I feel called to China. Are you, are you called to China as well? And I knew right then, she's trying to find somebody that meets her calling, that will go with her on her calling in her life. And I was like, ah, you don't want to know what I'm called to, and I don't really care what you are. Because you're called to be the helpmeet to the man's vision. A woman responds to a man's pursuit. For this reason, a man shall leave father and mother and be joined to his wife. Does the wife leave father and mother? No, the man leaves father and mother and pursues the wife through the father to have the responsibility transferred from him to the husband. She's never uncovered and never unprotected and never alone. Why? Because she's not durable, she's not fast, she's not strong, and she's not hard, and she needs protection. Man, if your daughters get raped at college, it's your fault. You weren't there. You let her go out to a drunken party and get taken advantage of. You want to go beat somebody else up? Punch yourself in the mouth. It's you leaving her uncovered. Take wives, Jeremiah 29.6, and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands. Why? So that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and not be de decreased. In the household, men, uh, women also are responders. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their own husbands in everything. There's something of the image of God in the calm trust and patient waiting of a godly woman. You say, my, my husband's not all he should be. You know what? No husband's all he should be. And wife, look in the mirror. You're not all you should be either. The husband, what's your job? To wash your water, wife with the water of the word. Wife, what's your job? To submit with a gentle and quiet spirit. Pray for your husband. What's it say? Listen to this in 1 Peter 3, 1-6. through 6. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. I don't, if you don't like that, you're not liking what God says. You ain't, it's not that you have a problem with what Matt says. If he's going to be won, it's going to be because God did it. You pray for them. 
Women, have you tried praising your husband for the good that he is doing? You know that men respond to that like crazy when you praise what is good. And men, when your wife... When your wives come at you aggressively, I've been guilty of this before. I come back with aggression. You know what? The wives need to be loved and desire to be loved, and a man desires to be respected. When she's coming at you aggressively, it's usually because she doesn't feel safe. And if you can reassure her that she's safe instead of crushing her and coming at her to say, Honey, you feel uncomfortable. What's going on here? Tell me about it. I'll help, I'll help you think through it. We've got this. You love her. She wants to be loved. Men, you want to be respected. Men, women, show your husband's respect. Men, show your wife's love to win them. And even in procreation, the man typically pursues the woman initiating physical intimacy. The woman then carries the baby for nine months. God's put this in the created order as well, hasn't he? Why? Well, the, the woman, when she gets pregnant, the man, after the act's done, the woman becomes pregnant. Is he impacted by it? He don't get no cankles, does he? He doesn't get cankles. He's not impacted from being able to go and be a protector, from being able to go and be a provider. He doesn't gain a, a lot of weight and you swell up, blood pressure get high, get toxemia, none of those things. His ability to, to do all of his duties are not impaired by, his being, uh, by, by there being a child on the way. But the woman who is, that's to be her inclination, she is impaired. And that's the reason abortion is such a sacrament to people who hate the image of God and hate masculinity and femininity. They have to be able to kill the baby because it would impair them from being able to do what men are supposed to be doing anyway. You get that. That's exactly what it is. They even say that. If, we, if you take away abortion, then we're not equal because they, men get a head start because the women are, are, are hindered by the pregnancy and by the maternity afterwards. So they have to have the ability to murder an unborn child so that a woman can be like a man. It's exactly what it is. Understand that. That's the root of it. And a nurturer and a shelter. That's another of their duties. Can a woman forget her nursing child, Isaiah 49:15, and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Bodies are equipped for that purpose, aren't they? The nursing child. They're designed for it. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Matthew 23-37, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way that a hen gathers her chicks under her wing, but you would not. You think of the hen and the rooster. What does the, what does the hen do when, with the chicks? It gathers them under their wing, right, to protect them from the danger. What does the rooster do? It gets the claws out and it jumps on them. Doesn't it? See the difference? Moms, you, you've seen this in general. Moms want to protect and, and shelter the child. Hey, you don't need to go out of that danger. And the, di the dad's like, nah, let him go. Get him, boy. Moms want to protect the gains that have been made. Dad wants to make new gains. Which one images God? Both. If there's a just war and a woman wants to stay home and care for the children, she's doing the right thing. But if a man wants to stay home, he's a coward. And a keeper and manager, lastly. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips or enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible and pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. That word for workers at home, it means a houseworker, a homemaker, a house steward, one who is occupied in domestic affairs. That's what sanctification looks like for a woman. And she's saved through that, as it said in Timothy. Being a wife and a mother are not valued in our culture, not even among many Christians. They teach their daughters to pursue higher education and careers that often keep them far from God's will for them. I see many young women who teach the Bible do all sorts of gymnastics with words to get around this and make women who have careers and jobs feel better about it. Instead of trusting that God's perfect plan is that they exercise their... Uh, I'm sorry. Instead of trusting that God's plan is perfect, they make all sorts of excuses and exceptions why women don't need to be keepers at home. Women need to be keepers at home. Their husbands and children need them there. Their homes need them in order to make them warm, cheerful, and peaceful and orderly places for their families to live in. 
A woman's influence is the chief anchor of society. The world is moved and civilizations are advanced by the silent influence of women. God did not create women to pursue their own career paths. Rather, God created women to help man fulfill his calling. Women provide something to man that he did not have without her, including companionship, home management, and children, and man is inadequate alone. The ideology of feminism teaches that women should carry out the same duties as men in society. In other words, feminism minimizes sex distinctions with an emphasis on pushing women away from the home and children and into careers just like men. Feminism is the belief that men and women are fundamentally the same and thus interchangeable. The feminist movement has been so successful over the years that Westerners live in a post-feminist society, meaning that most people today are feminists without even embracing the label. The immediate purpose has been to undermine the homemaker's position within both her family and society in order to drive her to the workforce. Feminism's long-term goal, this is Carolyn Graglia, she is a feminist, she says, Feminism's long-term goal has been to create a society in which women behave as much as possible like men so that women will hold equal political and economic power with men to dissolve the family. Feminist methods have included the promotion of the sexual revolution as well as support for no-fault divorce laws and affirmative action requirements, the latter of which has given preference to women in education and job opportunities. The status degradation of the housewife role as one of, uh, feminism's, is one of feminism's crucial weapons. While there has been diversity among feminists, all branches of feminism are united in the conviction that a woman can be identified, uh, can find identity and fulfillment only in her career. Feminism op- operates on two flawed assumptions that equality means sameness. That's not true. And that most differences between men and women are imposed by culture. Equality should only be used to speak of men and women having equal value before God uh, and man, not equal functions. As we've seen, men and women have different natures rooted in God's design, not culture. And guys, we've got to assume the middle. We've, we've got to quit being ashamed of these things. We've got to say them and reclaim them and show the absurdity of the other position, which goes against natural law. And all common sense. The created order itself. Fem- this quote, I loved it. The feminism is the twisted idea that a woman is free when serving an employer, but a slave when she's serving her family. Last thing that we've got on our, uh, on our list for today that I wanted to cover, brief- cover briefly is their desire for one another, the principle of polarity. Opposites attract, don't they? God has designed men and women differently. What do, what, do, what do boys want? What aspect of the dominion mandate is man most specifically designed to fulfill, remember, to rule over and subdue? Men want to conquer enemies and win prizes. One prize the man wants to win is the girl. That used to be what every Disney movie was, wasn't it? Prince Charming winning the girl. Men are attracted to being looked to and depended upon and coming through for those who depend upon them. Think of your typical fairy tale. The princess is in danger. There's a terrible dragon or whatever other threat you want to throw out there. And along comes Prince Charming or some valiant male hero who slays the dragon and wins the heart and affection of the girl. The man loves to be admired by the woman as the conquering hero. A man is attracted to situations where he provides what is needed. He craves adventure. And what do girls or women want? What aspect of the dominion mandate is man as woman specifically designed to fulfill? To keep and to till, to bear children. She isn't designed to go out and rule over and subdue. She's designed to manage, keep, organize, nourish that which has been subdued. So little girls don't fantasize about defeating dragons to save gentlemen in distress. You ever heard of, we got to save the gentleman in distress? Of course not. There's a reason that that's not a phrase. And damsel in distress is. The girl wouldn't see such a weak man as a prize to be won. I defeated the dragon and got that guy over there. Look at him. He's, he's so amazing. He was hiding behind the tree. He wet himself a little, but I saved him. No, of course not. The one wants a hero to conquer the enemy. And she wants to be the prize. She wants to be treasured in such a way that the man will face danger to win her heart and to keep her safe. The man wants to obtain the treasure. And the woman wants to be the treasure. 
And such is beautiful. And it's part of God's design. A woman is attracted to situations where her needs are provided. She craves that security. And men want to be respected for their accomplishments and strength. Women want to be loved and treasured for their beauty, tenderness, and value. Men desire stereotypical women, and women desire stereotypical men. As young men and young women reach maturity, they'll find themselves attracted to one another. We've got a lot of young men and women coming up right now. Let me tell you something. There's nothing wrong with you being attracted to the opposite sex. There's something wrong if you're not. And every time you're attracted to somebody of the opposite sex, it doesn't mean that you're filled with lust and you need to repent. It means you need to be the kind of person that can be marriageable and go get a wife through the proper means, through her, through her father, and win her heart after he's given you permission to take her, and then be the man that will provide for her and protect her all the rest of her life. God has designed you to be that way. Women are softer, weaker, slower, and less durable. They're therefore susceptible to threats and need to be protected, provided for, and led. A man desires to protect the, uh, the susceptible from these threats and sees the beauty and the benefit of the woman. She's a treasure and he doesn't want to get it, let that treasure get destroyed. Women want men who are strong, courageous, assertive, and aggressive when necessary. Men want women who are beautiful, tender, delicate, and gentle, quiet spirits. A woman will be attracted to a man who stands up for her safety and honor. And a man would be embarrassed by the same thing. Wouldn't you, men? If you were sitting there and somebody was picking on you and a woman came to your rescue and said, How dare you? Like, you would be embarrassed. Why? Because in your heart you know this is out of order. She shouldn't be standing up for me. You say, what do you do with all this? Where's the gospel in all this? Well, in an ultimate sense, we're to image Christ... But we've not been what we should be. Men, you've not been the men you're supposed to be. Women, you've not been the women you're supposed to be. We're in rebellion against the created order, at least at some level. We at least have been at some point. And what did Christ do? He faced the dragon. He crushed its head. He did it by laying down his life, sacrificing himself, his sinless self for our good, and he defeated death itself on our behalf. We can be forgiven for our abdication of our responsibilities. And we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill them going forward. We, our salvation, what is it? It's purchased by Christ. We don't earn it by being men and women that we're supposed to be. But because He's given us salvation and filled us with His Spirit, we now can make progress in recovering what was lost in Adam. And as we do that, we will change the world. We will rule over and we will subdue. We will keep and till that which is subdued. And we will multiply and fill, and fill the earth with more image bearers who will go and do likewise under the command of King Jesus until the whole earth is filled with His glory. Kind of gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for this day, this afternoon service. Pray that this was helpful, uh, that it's something that uh, uh, opens eyes to areas that may, there may be blind spots that uh, there's areas of repentance that take place, that there's recalibrating of duties and, and goals and visions for families, and that you would help us at Manorville Fellowship to be families equipped for a lifestyle of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.